In what country does royalty own all the swans? The swans? <laughs> the swans. <laughs> okay, Bob. If your Toyota could travel straight up in the air, how long would it take you to get into space? Ooh, that's good. <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life with fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. Well, Marsha, in what country does royalty own all of the swans? Is mm. it Monaco, oh. Belgium, <laughs> Thank you. the UK, uh-huh. or Liechtenstein? Ah. I will say Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein. Yes. No, it is not Liechtenstein. It is. I was just testing you. I say it is Monaco, not Belgium, Monaco. or Monaco is wrong. Okay, is then it? I'll say my second guess is UK. God, we finally got there. Yes, it's the UK, Marcia. Of course. I knew that. As TravelTrivia.com says, <laughs> as if royal palaces, crown jewels, and a number of overseas <laughs> wasn't territories enough. wasn't enough. <laughs> The Queen or King of England also rules over all, quote, unmarked mute swans mute? swimming in open waters. Mute? Mute. <laughs> that bizarre law has been the law of the land in England since the 12th century. Wow. When swans were considered a delicacy for banquets and feasts, so the royal family claimed ownership of all the swans. They're ours. Wow, so Charlie can go out and pluck one out of the pond and throw it in the oven for dinner. That law limited the number that were hunted and had penalties for killing or harming a swan or even stealing a swan egg. Of course, today people don't eat swans. They're protected species, but swans aren't the only animals the king or queen claims. A similar law passed in the 1300s says the king or queen also owns the whales, porpoises, and dolphins around wow. England. Wow, that's a big responsibility. It is a big responsibility. Hope they take it seriously. <laughs> okay, Bob. One out of four people in this country own a Toyota. Did you know that? Wow. Toyota Corolla, to be specific. That's a long way from when they were Japanese cars, and we don't want those things well, that, in America. Yeah, after the Remember war, that? yeah. Your father would go nuts at those, wouldn't he? Ba- originally, yeah. yes. Well, he was in the war. That's yes. Why. Well, my sister and her husband came home with one. He was mute. He was mute like the swan. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say anything. Oh, that's smart. Okay, all right. In our case, if our Subaru Bob could travel straight up in the air, how long would it take us to get to space? Well, the question I have is, would it take a Toyota less time or more no, time? it's the same time because they both can reach this speed. Okay. What speed is that? 60 miles per hour. Well, of course they can reach that speed. So I know. if you could only reach that speed, how long would it take you to get to the moon? No, to, to space. space. Oh, my goodness. That would take you a long time, wouldn't it? Um, uh, a, a month? I don't know. One hour. What? Yeah. Take you only yes. an hour? Yes. That is amazing. Space stretches out in all directions, at least as far as we can tell, for some 46 billion light years. But it doesn't take that long at all to get where it begins. In fact, if you had a car that could somehow travel skyward towards the Kármán line, you know what the Kármán line is? 
It's the barrier that marks the beginning of space. Okay, so that's the atmosphere ends, and that's when space I begins. I assume so. Okay. You'd arrive there in little more than an hour, and that's while cruising at a leisurely 60 miles per hour. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought of all these fighter pilots and yeah. everybody who took planes all the way up there to the atmosphere. Yeah. Wow. Just yeah. an hour. It's only an hour away. It was, <laughs> outer space is only an hour. Why it, is it longer to Chicago than it is to outer space? <laughs> well, that's, that's <laughs> another story, Bob. That's another question. Okay. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. It makes you think that it's only a matter of time once they can make cars go vertical. Yeah. Taking our Sunday drive to space. <laughs> our Sunday fly to space. Yeah. Hey, speaking of cars... What auto manufacturer introduced the world's first station wagon, and when was it introduced? Ford. 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 Okay. And was when, I right? When was it introduced? Is that right? Yes, okay. Marsh. So got to give me some credit okay, here. Okay, I'm going to give you credit when you get both of the answers to okay, me. Okay, what was the second part? <laughs> what year was it that Ford introduced the first station wagon? 1955. Wrong. <laughs> None of those count now. Okay, you got the right thing. It was Ford Motor. But they did that back in 1929. What? They, they equipped a Model A with a boxy wooden body that gave the vehicle extra storage space for cargo and passengers. I wouldn't have guessed that. Well, I didn't. Well, do Henry that. Ford was very innovative with yeah. his automobiles. So yeah. he they came and they came out with the planes early on and, uh -huh. and did all kinds of things. Yeah. So, so the first station wagon, we think of that as the precursor to today's minivan. Yeah, those kinds of things started in 1928. Okay. Uh, introduced in 1928. What, Bob? What? Oh, don't yell at me. Okay. Famous American luxury hotel has a hidden train station in the depths of its building. A famous luxury hotel? Yeah. Has a train station? In the depths of its building. Okay. Is it in New York City? Yes. Okay. Is that the... Um, what is that? Which one is that? I think you know this. They had a subway station in it, didn't they? Yeah. Still got it. Still got the train down there. Not the Hilton Hotel. No. Nope. What is it? I well, can't think of it. It's a good salad with lots of fruit in it. The Caesar Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Waldorf. That's it. Waldorf Hotel. The Waldorf Historia is one of New York City's most iconic luxury hotels, with many high-profile galas and celebrity guests since it was built around 1930. It's a popular destination for dignitaries, including many presidents of the United States, hmm. a few of whom took advantage of the hidden train station in the depths below. The most famous user of the secret train was FDR. Roosevelt. Franklin D. Roosevelt, who escaped from the platform via his private train car in October 44, 1944, so the public wouldn't see his wheelchair. Generals of the Army, John Pershing and Douglas MacArthur, both made use of it, too. And Andy Warhol, somehow he shouldn't be in that group, <laughs> once threw a party down there. Apparently, it's still available for visiting presidents wishing to make a speedy exit. Wow. Okay. It's interesting. That was the only hotel they did that for. You could have thought they would have done it for multiple hotels, yeah. you know. Okay. Hey, Marcia, what's the only state with two rivers with the same name? There's a state that has two rivers and they have the same name. Is it Colorado, Florida, Louisiana, or Ohio? Ohio. So Ohio has two rivers of the same name, and what are they? I don't know. Ohio and Ohio? <laughs> wrong and wrong. <laughs> no, it's Florida. Oh, is it? Yeah, the Withlacoochee River. That's, that's the name of two separate rivers in the state of Florida. Because... One's, one's in central Florida, the other's farther north. 
The Central River is known as the Crooked River. It originated in the Green Swamp. Now, what does the name mean? Because that's, that's what I was going to ask kind of what, you. It's a combined word in the Creek language, may mean Little Big River or River of Lakes. Since it originates in a swamp, it could be River of Lakes. You know, it comes from a lake. So that was the first one. The Northern River originates in Georgia before flowing south into Florida, where it only flows about 1.34 miles before returning north. So there's a, there's a very tiny little Withlacoochee. Okay. And the name again means Crooked River or Little River of Big Lakes. You notice there's always with these Indian names a couple of versions of what it could mean? Yeah. Okay. It's not just good enough to have one river with that name. We need two rivers with that name. A kucharacha? Just just another strange thing in the state of Florida. Uh, What's inside, Bob, the Leaning Tower of Pisa? The Leaning Tower of Pisa. What's inside that thing? It's kind of a hollow thing with a stairway that goes up the center, the spiral stairway, I believe. So I don't know if there's anything in the Leaning Tower of Pisa. So you're saying? It's just an empty tower. Very good. Is it true? It's an empty tube, a big empty tube with no floors, no decoration, and no windows. Its original purpose was a bell tower. Oh. But the bells were eventually removed to help keep the tower stable. Tourists can walk up a spiral staircase along the tower's walls for a viewing deck at the very top, but there is literally nothing inside to look at. Who knew? That's amazing. It was built in multiple stages between the 12th and 14th century. The first three stories were built before the foundation had settled into the soft ground, and that's why it leans. A hundred years later, in an effort to crest the lean, five more stories were built on top of those already <laughs> tilted stories. And guess what? It kept leaning. It made it worse. Did that? Who would have thought, okay, yeah. this thing is leaning. Let's build onto it. Yeah. This will help. <laughs> well, they thought it would correct it. Oh, come on. Its enduring stability, despite its dramatic pitch, has made it a major landmark popular with tourists. And they still have to prop it up. They're always doing things to keep really? it from caving in. I and didn't falling. know that. Yeah. How do they do? What do they do? Engineering fixes, you know. Oh, yeah? Workarounds. Okay. When was that built? Between the 12th and 14th centuries. Jeez. Big mistake. Big mistake. <laughs> okay. What famous leader of ancient history reduced traffic congestion in his city by turning the downtown into a pedestrian mall? We think of that as a major thing back in the 70s. Yeah, there were a lot of yeah, pedestrian yeah. malls, you know. Yeah. Then everybody decided this kills off the traffic from the street, you know. Is so. this America? No, it's not in America. This is an ancient history leader. Reduced traffic congestion in his city by turning the downtown. Was it someone like Roman Someone times? like Roman, yes. Roman times. Someone in Roman times. Caesar. One of the Caesars. Well, the salad. No. No. Uh, I have Augustus. No. His brother? It's Julius. Ah. Julius Salad. No, Julius Caesar. <laughs> Julius Salad. Uh, Rome suffered much traffic congestion with chariots and wheeled no vehicles of other sorts. No kidding. And Jeez. finally, the problem reached uh, such a height during the reign of Julius Caesar, he banned all wheeled vehicles in Rome during the hours of daylight. No kidding. After Just night, you could bring them down, but no, no, no running around room. down in, in, in chariots you- during the day. <laughs> Come on, kids. Honey? Take the chariot around town. You know how long it takes me to get around we can town. Take it, we can take it down tonight, but we can't do it during Jeez, the day. To drop funny? you off on the edge of town. Isn't that an interesting yeah. visual? Yeah, funny. Yeah. People were probably dropping people off at a certain point, yes. you know, so they had to, to walk the, the rest of the way. Get to the local pub. <laughs> God. Okay, Bob, how big do you want to guess? Was the fictional town movie set 
of Bedford Falls in It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, how big was it? And how do I measure this in terms of what? Uh, acres. Acres. I'll bet that's a pretty small thing, and yeah, they shot it from all the angles, so you never saw the whole thing. You saw pieces and parts of it, and it seemed like it was huge. So I'll say it was five acres. It's four, and that's considered a really large set. Movie set. Yeah, yeah. Wow. The movie was mostly filmed at RKO's Movie Ranch in Encino, California. The fictional town of Bedford Falls covered about four acres. The main street stretched three city blocks, and the town itself contained dozens of buildings and even 20 full-grown oak trees. Wow. They put a lot into this. They did put a lot into it. The buildings weren't all newly constructed, though. Many of them had been used before in the 1931 Oscar movie Cimarron. Oh, no kidding. So they recycled some of those and then built some new ones, put up some oak trees, and there you have Bedford Falls. Well, I have long said the movie business, the movie-making business, is one of the best recycling examples in industry. Well, that's true. They, do, uh, they Six ways to sun. Every so often, you and I catch in old movies, hey, that was just in that new movie. They just put a different sign up front in that building. And I read an interview with Edith Head. I read an interview yeah. with her, the costume designer. And she was. <laughs> she took pride in the fact that there are all these dresses she would design for people. They could use them in all these movies. If it was something that was used for, like, Loretta Young, or somebody in a recent film, they'd put it in the background when they used it for somebody else. So all kinds of costumes were done that way. They were always reused. Yeah, and she won like two zillion Academy Awards. I think she's won almost more Academy Awards than most people. Was your family like mine? We all watched the Academy Awards and we'd be sitting there with popcorn eyes laying on the floor and the award goes to for best costume design and the whole family would say, Edith Head. Yes. (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. Wow, she was even that well known here in your... In your Milwaukee family. That's fascinating. Yes, it was fascinating. Bob, shipwrecks. Wait a minute, Marsh. You remember when we stayed at the American Club in Kohler. Kohler, Wisconsin. That is a resort where every room is a famous American, yeah. named after a famous American, and there are artifacts of that famous American there, or pictures. And remember, we stayed in the Edith Head room Yes, once. that's right. And there was a dress design on the wall. Yes, and yes. Pretty cool. It was very cool. All right. Shipwrecks, Bob. No, we're not talking shipwrecks. We're going to take a break. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking Fine. shipwrecks. We're taking a break right okay. now. Come back for shipwreck oh, boy. information. Okay. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. Okay, Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman, host of OK Boomer with Robert. Yes, we like to enlighten you with colorful features, Boomer news, Boomer history, but we will also mystify you. And this one coming up in 24, that's going to be really creepy. That's an astronomer standing at ground zero where the 2017 and 2024 eclipse paths will cross over Carbondale, Illinois, the home of OK Boomer with Robert. And you can find OK Boomer with Robert wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and its internet radio station. We're on the air every Monday night, and then we go out over the internet on all of the podcast platforms. All over the world. Yeah, I knew. I could trust you to say that. <laughs> okay, Bob. So shipwrecks. We have questions on well, shipwrecks. Well, just a quickie. Okay. Two quickies on it. How many shipwrecks are estimated to be in our oceans? Want to take a guess? Oh, shipwrecks in the oceans. I was thinking just of the Great Lakes. I would say in the oceans there must be 
thousands or more? I don't know. I mean, think of all the centuries. Yeah. It is estimated that there are three million shipwrecks. Wow. That's uh, There are many, many, many more that have sunk from sight and public recollection. So they were going from known and public recollection to count all these things. And, you know, the most notable ones that the average public knows is what? The Titanic? Yeah, right. And Queen Anne's Revenge? What is that? Is that I some kind of diarrhea? What is never I never heard, heard of that. <laughs> anyway, sorry. What area do you think has the most shipwrecks? <laughs> it's some kind of diarrhea. Okay. I think the Mediterranean probably had a lot because the Roman era, there were probably a lot of shipwrecks that they found out there. No, no, it's, uh, what's that famous triangle? Oh, the Bermuda Triangle? Yeah. Oh, more shipwrecks there than anywhere Although else. Although Bermuda measures less than 21 square miles, the combination of its location within trade routes and hazardous coral reefs has produced more than 300 shipwrecks off its coast. Wow. Just a... Uh, uh, so more there than anywhere else. Yeah, in the world. Hmm. It's just a very small area where there's more than any place else. I see, Okay. All right, Marcia, how old is Smokey Bear, and in what mountain range was the real Smokey Bear rescued? I'll give you choices here. Okay. The Great Smoky Mountains, uh-huh. the Capitan Mountains, the Rocky Don. Mountains, Capitan. or the Blue Ridge Mountains. So, Smarty Pants, which one is it? Well, which one is what again? <sighs> You'd rather just play around in the background <laughs> than listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> but what? Okay, how, how old is Smokey name? Bear yeah. first? How old? And in what mountain range was the real Smokey Bear rescued? Great Smoky Mountains, Capitan Mountains, Rocky Mountains, or Blue Ridge Mountains? Okay, I will tell you the Blue Ridge Mountains, and he is uh, what year? For God's sakes, I should know that. I will say 1958. All right, you're wrong on both counts, but you're not too far back. Uh, 1950 was the year. Okay. And it was not in the Great Smoky Mountains or the Blue Ridge Mountains. It was in the Capitan Mountains. He was an orphaned cub saved from a forest fire in New Mexico's Capitan Mountains. No kidding. And he's a senior citizen because it was 1950, so he's Mm -hmm. a boomer. He died in 1976. Oh, okay. But the interesting story is how did this come about? How did it become a big story? There was a huge forest fire, and fire crews were called to the scene of this spreading fire. One thing they were told was there's a small bear wandering the area, and they thought, his mother, he'll find his mother. Yeah. Just then, the fire raged up, and 30 firefighters were caught directly in the path of the fire. They survived by lying down on a rock slide for a whole hour as the fire passed through the area. When they woke up, when they actually came back up for air uh-huh. after an hour, they found the little bear still alive, still up in that tree. The tree was totally charred. But he was up there. He was up there, but he had badly burned paws and oh. hind legs. Oh, geez. And they knew he was probably orphaned. So yeah. one of the firefighters took him home, and then a New Mexico Department of Game and Fish Ranger heard about him, and he drove to the rancher's house, and he put the cub on a plane to Santa Fe, where they took care of that bear. Oh. And then they called the U.S. Forest Service, and they said, we would like to give you this bear if you would use it in a conservation and fire prevention program, a publicity program. Well, excellent thinking, my man. So that's what happened. And then he was sent to the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., and he was nicknamed Smokey Bear, not Smokey the Bear, but Smokey Bear. Uh-huh. And he received so much mail. 
he had to get his own zip code. Oh, that's so cool. Isn't that neat? And so he lived for how many years? He lived for another 56 years after that in captivity. That's a good story. Yeah. I hope he was happy. He got to travel a lot. He was buried at the Smoky Bear Historical Park in Capitan, New Mexico. So they brought him back there when he died. I never knew there was a real Smoky Bear. See, a lot of people don't know that. Did he have a hat? And a little vest. He talked like this. Um, You know, we think of Smokey the Bear, right? Yeah. That comes from the song that was written that we probably all heard as kids, Smokey the Bear. And that was because the songwriters, for the rhythm of the song, put the word the between Smokey and Bear. And also, he's not spelled like the Smoky Mountains, S-M-O-K-Y. It's S-M-O-K-E-Y, Smokey Bear. I'll be darned. But that's the story of Smokey Bear. I clicked on it, went on the website of the Forest Service, and that was a cute little story. Yeah, that is a good story. We're learning so much. Uh, Like this. Why, Bob, why do we call a football field a gridiron? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. Because it resembles a gridiron with the lines, an iron with a grid on it that you would either heat things on or cook things on. Okay. What's the answer? I guess I was way off. I also was called the gridiron because was laid out on a grid, you know, uh, for the 10-yard lines and then the grid. But uh, I was totally wrong. You're closer to the truth. And the truth is what? The truth is, bet you didn't know that the word football first described in 1486. What? It was a game involving two teams and an inflated animal bladder. Oh, oh dear. (laughs) (laughs) You've heard of the pigskin? Well, this was an actual animal bladder. So it was not too much different, really. The game evolved several times before North Americans introduced new rules. Apparently, they didn't want to do the bladder thing. We introduced new rules, such as three chances to advance the ball five and then ten yards, which led to white lines being painted on the field. From the stands, these lines gave the appearance of broiled meat from the metal grating of a griddle or gridiron. And so that's why it's called the gridiron. So I was right. Pretty much. That name was first Don't record- I get a ding, 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 ding like ding, I give you? Ding, ding, Bob. Ding, <laughs> ding. Oh, that doesn't sound like it. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. ding. So it was called a gridiron. That name was first recorded way back in the 13th century. And they called their field the gridiron? Yeah. Wow, that long ago. Yeah. That Holy f- cow, that's 700 some odd years ago. I don't know, but it is something. Amazing. To me. Amazing. Amazing, but true. All right, another animal question. Okay. What was the name of the original MGM lion? You know, we still see that lion every once in a while in films. What's the name of the original MGM lion? Oh, he has a name? Yeah. Bill. Well, most people call him Leo. Oh, okay. But the original name was Slats. (laughs) S-L-A-T-S? That's S-L-A-T-S. He first appeared in MGM's first film, He Who Gets Slapped, in 1924. The lion's name was changed from Slats to Jackie, And then when MGM began color production, it used a lion named Tanner. But to the public all these years, the lion has been known as Leo. But the first lion was known as Slats. Curious. Okay, Bob. Here's one right up your alley. Not. What designates a colt, a filly, a mare, and a gelding in the world of thoroughbred horses? What designates them? Yeah. What's a colt? What's a filly? A colt is a small, a young horse. Okay. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Gelding had something to do with whether it was lost its genitals or something like that? <laughs> something like that, okay. yeah. And okay. what's the other one? A filly. A filly is a female. And a mare. A mare is a female also. 
but okay. A yeah. mare's an older female, and a filly's a young female. Well, you're not too far off Philly's on everything. A, well, thank I'll, you. I'll I'm, give you specifics. It's good about not to be that. too far off. Yes. First of all, Bob, mm-hmm. all horses are called foals until they are one year old. Okay. The official birth date of all thoroughbreds is January 1st of the year they were born. Oh, really? So this <laughs> is how they track everything on how old a thoroughbred is. Between the ages of two and five, male horses are called colts and females are fillies. Oh, okay. So a colt is a male, a filly is a female, yeah, as between, the young horses. Okay. Right. Beyond the age of five, all males are simply called horses. <laughs> <laughs> and ladies are called a mare. You know, like you used to call me the brood mare. <laughs> I never called you that. No, I called myself that. Yes. Okay. When a male horse is neutered, it becomes a gelding. So I was good about that. Yes, yeah. you were. And those reserved for breeding are called, you know this one. Studs. Close. Oh. Stallions. Stallions, okay. (laughs) Okay, gotcha. So in the world of horses, what do you want to be, Bob? A stallion. That's right, okay. Yes. (laughs) Sorry, I got a little upset about that. In the 19th century, Bob, Mm -hmm. there were well-paying jobs for night soil men. What did they do? Night soil men? Yes. In the 19th century? Yeah. What, did they dig things up? Yes. They were not grave robbers? No. Okay. Not grave robbers. Um, they dug soil at night. I, I have no idea why. According to Good Old Days, my ass. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> As cities grew up in the 19th century, so did the human waste problem. Oh. Typically working between midnight and 5 a.m., the night soil men, working in teams of four, would climb into a house's cesspit and dislodge the sludge <laughs> and dump it into tubs that were hauled up by rope men and taken away. Oh. The good news is... Oh, dear. Yeah, <laughs> oh, dear. The good news is that these guys made two to three times more than even skilled workers. Wow. Well, I guess you paid for that, didn't you? What do we call it today? Hazard pay or something? Oh, uh, man. Can you imagine that smelling yeah. that stuff all night long and then the next day? Hi, honey. <laughs> Wow. You're sleeping in the other room, baby. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez. I hope the money was worth it. I hope so, too. Okay, Marcia, what is the first country to offer free public transportation? A country has done that. And I'll give you choices here. Okay. China, Russia, Switzerland, Luxembourg, or Sweden? Luxembourg. Why would you say that? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, you're right. Okay. Ning, 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 ning. Yeah, since March 2020, if you go to Luxembourg on a vacation, uh-huh. and you can get there from France, Germany, or Belgium, it's easy. Mm-hmm. Anything, anything you want to ride, trains, trams. It's all free? Buses and cable cars, God. all free. Taxes might be 90%, but they do get a well, lot of bonuses. The move was intended to help cut traffic and emissions, because it's a small country, but it's a rich country. There's a website called Lux Today or Luke's Today. Uh-huh. Luxembourg is a rich country, it says. Its residents have more cars per capita than anyone else in the European Union. No kidding. But it's a small country. Yeah. So that caused traffic jams and car exhausts and so forth. So free public transportation is designed to combat this. Five more passengers on a tram means five fewer drivers on the road, says the website. Besides, they say, uh-huh. you're saying, well, taxes, public transport wasn't profitable anyway. Proceeds from ticket sales covered less than 10% of transportation costs, Hmm. with the remainder picked up by taxes. Okay. Therefore, the website concludes, nothing radically has changed. I'll be done. Yeah. Free. I like it. Free Free. is good. 
free. It's only got 602,000 people in the whole country. In the whole country? Yeah, so it's small. Have you been there? No, uh-uh. Me either. Okay. Okay. So you got a thought for the day? I do. I have two. Here's uh, one from Mark Cooper. Life has no remote. Get up and change it yourself. <laughs> I like that, don't you? Yes, that's good. Yeah, I like that. You're in charge. And here, this one is from Woman's Day magazine. The secret of staying young is to live honestly, eat slowly, and lie about your age. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we hope you're not lying about your age, but we hope you're feeling young, and we hope you enjoyed our show today and come back for more. We'll be back in another week with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. You've been listening to The, the Off-Ramp. Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.